Welcome to Conversations from Here with me, Dana Ziegler. These candid, unfettered talks create connection and inspiration across the human story. These are the sharings of how we came to be ourselves, how we found our life's purpose, and how we made it from there to here. I speak with performers, artists, artisans, creators, innovators, entrepreneurs, and other remarkable people about what they do and how they came to do it. Also, the music you hear on this show is performed, as always, by Brad Watson. Today on Conversations from Here, I speak with the dashing, infinitely entertaining, and self-described fraghead, Dan Naughton. He is the creative director of UK Fragrance House, Naughton and Wilson, and the face of a much-subscribed-to YouTube channel in Britain, the go-to for informative, evocative fragrance reviews, Mr. Smelly, 1977. Naughton and Wilson are the creators of Gravitas, Pour Homme, and Bon Viveur, two enticing scents reminiscent of the classic fragrances for men from the mid-20th century that can be worn by anyone. Dan is also a musician and a teacher of guitar technique. We talk about all kinds of stuff in this episode. His obsession with fragrance, falling in love with the music of Jimi Hendrix, the power of memory, the perils of social media, and the weirdness of the world we live in today. It was a great talk, had a wonderful time. Thanks to Dan for his time today, and I hope you all enjoy. I think you will. I think you're going to learn a lot about scent more than you ever thought possible. Here's me and Dan. Ooh, she talks. Hey there, Dan. <laughs> Dan Naughton, how are you doing? Thanks for joining me. Hello. It's absolutely great to be here. Dana, thank you for inviting me to be on this show. Well, it's a real treat because uh, as, as of course, your, your folks across the pond know that you are a fragrance reviewer and I'm hoping to introduce you to uh, some of the folks over here in the States. Um, mm -hmm. And I was curious about your story. Um, so let's cast ourselves back. Um, back. What, what was your, uh, your upbringing like? Did you grow up in London or outside or... Uh, my upbringing was I was born in 1977, so I'm 44, and I was born in Barnet in Hart, well, Hertfordshire stroke London. It's the very northern outskirts of North London, so it's, it's kind of just about in London, and it's also in Hertfordshire as well, if that makes sense. So it was kind of, a, a, I guess, a lower middle class suburban family with parents from rather more working class origins, 
and that's how I that's how I started out. And I, I lived most of my well, all of my childhood and young adulthood there. What's What's interesting is that, um, and you talk about this on your channel, Mister Smart, mm. nineteen seventy seven. Um, you talk about how your mom gifted your dad with was it Givenchy pour homme? Was that it? Givenchy gentleman. Gentleman. Yes. Yes. Uh, that was a 70s release and that, yeah, when growing up, that was the only aftershave, as we would have called it then, that I ever really smelled because that was, I didn't have any specific interest. So to me, that was the, what a, a man's fragrance was kind of like. And it's actually a very powerful, quite old school smelling fragrance. Uh, but it was, yeah, it was naturally, it was kind of always on the sideboard. My dad, he, he kind of only wore that occasionally for a special occasion. He was a rather... Um, he wasn't someone who really was desperately bothered to dandify himself or dress up. Uh, so I think he would have probably considered it a bit poncy to wear that just going down the pub. Uh, yeah, but maybe if a there was a special, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would be inappropriate. Or he, yeah, so it was kind of one of those things that the bottle might last two years or something. And occasionally, you know, as a kid, you, you naturally just sniff it for amusement. Or then uh, as, even as a teenager, I, if I didn't have any money, of course, to buy my own, I used to splash a bit of that on, uh, which is pretty much uh, not the most appropriate scent, probably for a 15, 16 year old in the, <laughs> the early 90s, but it, it didn't seem to be too off putting to other people. So, yeah, that was all I knew about fragrances at first. Yeah. So, so was that, was, was there a moment that you were conscious of um, feeling that inner frag head start to come out as a young man when you smelled your dad's Givenchy gentleman, or was that later? Very much later, that only really started about a year, less than a year before I started my channel. So I only started the channel in 2016. So it was only in about late, mid to late 2015. I, I only became really anything like a fraghead by discovering the fragrance online community and the wacky world of YouTube reviews of fragrances. So it was just a sort of, a, there was a moment when I'd just come out of a, a long relationship with a lady and for many years, I'd, over 10 years, my signature scent, so I, I, had, a, I had some fragrances before, uh, was Allure Homme Sport from Chanel, which is a very nice, fresh aquatic fragrance, but a, a fairly mainstream smell. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was the best thing ever. And it, it always got me compliments. And, it, you know, Chanel is a good go-to. You can't go wrong with Chanel. So I just uh, wore that over and over and never thought about it and bought a new one. Or if anyone bought me a Christmas present, I'd ask for that. And then, of course, coming out of this rather uh, tumultuous, bad breakup of the relationship, which I was very relieved, I was very happy to be free from mm -hmm. uh, and I thought I better up my game a bit for you know it's been a long time let's change my fragrance let's you know make this the, the new me so I thought I wonder if there's anything you know I bet if you go online and look at best fragrances type that in YouTube and see what happens <laughs> and bang then not only were there a few videos about it there's a whole world of you know, community so it was kind of uh, just I'm the kind of person who gets really into stuff so yeah. if I'm into a thing I get obsessed yeah. And for some reason, it was just the right thing at the right time. And I became quickly obsessed with it. And I could watch, you know, videos for three, four hours a day easily about fragrances, which is really weird. You know, what's interesting, though, is that scent has everything to do with how one projects oneself. And you say this in your videos, let's project, right? And yeah. think about how when you spritz something on, it definitely brings out different characteristics or sort of your self image is different based upon what, what you're wafting 
out there. Mm. I find that interesting because there's something, the perfume, uh, the process of creating one mm. is alchemy. And the process of wearing one is a bit of personal alchemy as well. And, um, and, and, uh, and, and did you feel that some of that was going on at the time? Did you feel yeah, different was, when you switched on this other thing? A hundred percent. Yeah. It was just a great uh, feeling that you, you could sort of spray this stuff on and it would give this whole extra dimension to your yourself. Mm-hmm. And there was really a nice icing on the cake, obviously, of what hopefully is a, a good cake of the real you. Uh, yeah. But I kind of I got very interested in the idea that this could really project a, a different image of a person and uh, make it make a slight impression on people. Every fragrance tends to suggest a certain type of person or a mood. You know, you have mature fragrances or youthful clubbing type scents. So I liked the, I guess, you know, the, the fragrances that I specifically got into, I guess were trying to, for me, I was trying to find the fragrance that represented a person I perhaps wanted to become, you know? And uh, that was that was really intriguing. And, and just, yeah, the, a lot of the other stuff as well about them, the, the, the details of the, the notes and all that, and the history of the brand and stuff was interesting too. But yeah, I like the idea that they can uh, give you this aspiration that you perhaps become whatever that fragrance is all about, maybe, I guess. Absolutely. What, so what was the one that you hit upon that you started wearing? Uh, was, was it the, uh, it, it wasn't the uh, Chanel um, Sport because that you had moved oh. to that. So what was your next one? The biggest one, I think, and it didn't take long to find it, was Bois de Portugal from Creed. Hmm. And that, that is a very old fashioned smelling gentlemanly fragrance. Uh, not that I am, but perhaps that's what I dream of being. And uh, it was a 1987 release, apparently. And it was apparently also Frank Sinatra's signature scent. I'm not yeah. sure how, because I think he passed away in 1989, but uh, <laughs> or some, somewhere like that. But I think that, that sometimes with that brand, Creed, Brother Portugal, um, it's the case that they claim that the fragrance actually was made for an actor and he had it as his bespoke unique sense and only later was it released. So I don't know how that works, but it, it, uh, yeah, so it's a very green, gentlemanly, old fashioned type of fragrance, very, very smooth and complex. And it, it just was a mature smell, the kind of thing that not many people that you knew would be that familiar with. Someone said I smelled like my grandma's bathroom once when I wore it. <laughs> but I like that. Thing, actually. Yeah, well, exactly. I said you must have a very pleasant uh, fragrance in your grandma's bed, uh, bathroom then. So yeah, I liked that gentlemanly aura. Quite frankly, to be frank with you, had I never bothered to buy any more fragrances after that, I think I could have been quite happy with that, but I was I was interested in the, the hobby for, for the sake of it too. But that, that still remains my sort of, if I had only one, maybe it would be that. Mm-hmm. And there's also the thing, like you mentioned, the, the things about the, the mystique behind a brand. Like I think mm. of Aqua di Parma, you know, as yes. something like that. They, they started in 1919. They're an, an old house. It's sort of like, you know, how Chanel is and, and, uh, and Guerlain, of course, the mm. oldest. Yeah, um, and and so it brings with it a heritage, brings with it a sort of vibe, and um, I because yes. and you have a particular liking for uh, classic gentlemanly fifties, sixties, seventies kind of fougere 
which, yeah. which that my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, but the fougere is a sort of barbershoppy kind of lavendery sort of a thing with a citrusy. Is that accurate? That's, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, that, the, the word actually means fern-like in French. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and which is a little strange because a fern doesn't really have a particular noticeable smell, but they, <laughs> it was created back at the late 19th century in order to sort of create the idea of how a fern might smell if it had a strong fresh. smell. And yeah, fresh, yes. a green, fresh smell. And yeah, usually lavender is involved and a barbershop type fragrance is, is something people sometimes associate it with. Perhaps a, a really simple example that many people will have smelled would be a brute aftershave. Yes, yes. Or uh, that would be a simple okay. example of a fougere for the average person listening if they smelled it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. the other thing about scent is that um, for me and for many and probably for you as well is that it is evocative of memory. And mm. whenever, if I'm standing behind somebody in the grocery store and I smell Old Spice, it's my dad. Mm -hmm in my mind, yeah. <laughs> you know, or yeah. Chanel number five is my mom, you know, right. and, and how powerful that is. And almost more than, um, almost more than something that you can see or hear, it's the yeah. smell that is evocative of, of a memory. That's a very good point. I'm just going to shut my window. I'm terribly sorry. No it's just getting a bit breezy in here. Right. Yeah. No, what you say is absolutely right. Um, and it's a very, very powerful thing because it can, something you hadn't, let's forget fragrances, but you could smell something that you hadn't smelled for 10, 15, even longer since childhood. And suddenly this part of your memory that you didn't know existed takes you back. Could even be a, an emotional thing. You could start, it uh, doesn't happen to me, but you might start crying or God yeah. knows, you know, it can remind you of a relative or a different point in your life. And obviously the fragrance is a, a really potent thing to do that, but it could even be, you know, a certain combination of flowers or the smell of a certain town or city or mm -hmm. God knows what that can do this. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's this really powerful thing. You know, it's no wonder they, we can even see they use smelling salts to wake people up or are knocked yeah. out. So it, it tells yeah. you how powerful it can be, right? Mm -hmm. so there you go. Yeah. And there's something also um, subliminal about it as well, because mm. you can, uh, you, you can uh, have a reaction to something. You're not even really realizing why you have an association with something. You walk into the, say, the Department of Motor Vehicles here in the States, and it has a certain kind of bleachy smell, and it's, ugh, it's very disagreeable and all that. And so the association is forever DMV. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As opposed to being a pleasant memory of being at your grandmother's house and her wearing her arpege or whatever it is. Um, yep. But I did also want to, we'll go, we'll come back to the world mm -hmm. of scent, but I did want sure. to go back a little bit to, I know that you are a musician and you're mm -hmm. a uh, guitar teacher. When, when did music come into, because music and scent have something in common. Uh, okay, you'll have to explain how because I didn't know that. Uh, I was into, yeah, I got into playing guitar in around when I was about 12. So I guess at that kind of age, you, you stop being interested only in computer games or football. And uh, maybe artistic stuff becomes more exciting. So I, I got interested in a few of my dad's old scratchy LPs and uh, dug out one thing that really inspired me. I think I have to hand it to this person the most is an old Jimi Hendrix CD that my, had, my dad had, which must have been bought in the um, early 70s or something. Mm -hmm. And this, this kind of outrageous figure um, with his guitar and all this, the daft things that he did with playing with his teeth and burning the guitar. I got, yes. if, if I can be really risque, maybe even the fact that he used to make some rather phallic 
movements with his guitar, perhaps yeah. at some level for an adolescent 12 year old boy <laughs> was kind of uh, somehow to struck some subliminal chord. So he became like my, as I said, I get obsessed. So I pr pretty much like only listened to Jimi Hendrix. And obviously I desperately wanted to try and play a guitar. And eventually I got some kind of, um, you know, East German <laughs> electric guitar borrowed off my friend or something. It was falling apart and held together with rubber bands and, uh, you know, worked my way up gradually. So, yeah, I got into guitar at that age. And uh, well, what with one thing and another, I had it as a little hobby for a while, no, no big deal. And then in my early 20s, I, I got a little bit more serious, studied a bit harder with some video, teach yourself VHS tapes, just mm -hmm. at the fag end of those being a thing. Mm -hmm. And um, got to the level where I, I got to be able to be a teacher of guitar, what with one thing and another in my local guitar shop. So I, I, I was doing that from my early 20s for quite a few years. Mm -hmm. And of course, Jimi Hendrix, has the Brits to thank for his meteoric rise in music yes. because he wasn't accepted as much in the States, which is such a crime that he went across the pond and just, that just was it. hit it. And, you know, thank God because someone of his talent and his quality needed to be championed, you know? And then of course he, he came back and was appreciated. And of course now we love him. You know, yeah. it's one of our own, but um, that's interesting. And and also, like you said, his his whole his whole his whole vibe and his power and his he was sensual, sexual, beautiful man. Former paratrooper. Yeah, yeah. Did you know that he was? Yes, he was. He had to jump. He had to do jump out of airplanes. There's yes. there's photos of him in his uniform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah, part this... part uh, African American, part Cherokee Indian, I believe. Yes. So yeah. Yeah, there's a great interview, if you're familiar at all with Dick Cavett, of the American interviewer who did all these fantastic um, television interviews. Um, he's one of my heroes from the latter 60s into the mid 70s. And Jimi mm -hmm. Hendrix was on, and they talk about that. They talk about his service career as well. And because you, you didn't normally hear about it, you know, but he talked no. about him. Um, yeah, he was, he was great. Yeah, he was so fascinating as a character, yeah. Yeah. And so innovative. I, and he's fun. like, I, 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 I would look at Prince and I'd look at Lenny Kravitz and I'd say, gee, where'd you get that? <laughs> you know, I mean, obviously uh, yeah. influenced by Jimmy, for sure. 100, yeah, 100%. He really did revolutionize the, the whole world of, of music and guitar playing. And Eric Clapton was sort of supposedly the god of guitar at that right, time. Right, but I right. think he, he stumbled across Jimi Hendrix and uh, there's interviews where he said he, he knew this guy was just on a completely different level. And, and, you know, was blown away by him. So, yeah, he was absolutely amazing. And, and not just for the music, but this, this kind of weird charisma that he had. And it was, it was lovely when you hear him speak, a very soft spoken, mm -hmm. kind of laid back. Yeah, he was, yeah. He was he'd probably taken a lot of drugs too, but he, he was a very likable, charming, humble yeah. kind of guy. Uh, and of course, it's insane to think that he was only, his whole career lasted, what, a thousand odd days or three three years or four yeah. years? So weird, yeah, terrible. Huge, a huge loss. And of mm. course, speaking of Eric Clapton, uh, Muddy Waters was one of our great Delta Blues musicians, was his hero. And, you know, post-war Britain was a very grim place. And I find it very interesting how American blues and R&B made its way across to Britain. Post-war yeah. Britain, grim place. It's depressing, it's dark and dank, and kids of the time like Keith Richards and yeah. Mick Jagger and all those guys. And we have to, we have to do a, uh, a shout out to Charlie Watts because we lost him this week. Yeah, yeah, what a tragedy. Yeah, yeah. Very, 
sad to lose him, but he was 80, Dan. <laughs> well, that's true. He lived a, a very full life, weren't you? That, I should remember that, yeah. And given yeah. that he was, you know, a rock and roller for so long, it's amazing he lasted as long as he did. And I think that somebody is winning uh, in a betting pool because they were like, is it going to be Keith? Is it going to be Mick? Is it going to be Charlie? You know, I, my bet was yeah. Charlie. Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't think, I think Keith Richards will outlive me. I mean, I think he's indestructible. You've got to love that guy. I saw, I saw a meme once that I loved, which was, um, we have to decide what kind of world we want to leave to Keith, uh, to what, 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 wait, what kind of world our grandchildren are going to leave for Keith Richards? <laughs> That's genius. Yeah. <laughs> He's great. He's like the Buddha of 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 blues rhythm guitar, and he's. I mean, honestly, he's he's he would have been happy as a Delta blues musician. You know, mm. he's. You know, his idols were Robert Johnson, Muddy Waters, BB King, all those, all those. Um, they were, yeah, yeah. Heroes of the day, and that is where he just. That's just what he does. I mean, he joked that he was uh, basically unemployable, you know, because what, what else is he going to do, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Incredible. And of course, even their name, the uh, Rolling Stones, is from a Muddy Waters song, yes. isn't it? So, yeah, yes. it was it was all from from black blues artists. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's great that it went one way and back and forth. And it's, it's just how it goes with music. Yeah. Yeah. So we brilliant. got it back again with the British Invasion, the best yep. kind of British Invasion with the Beatles and Stones <laughs> and, and yep. Paul and the Who and all of those guys. And, and yeah, yeah. amazing. But did yeah, you? And oh, go ahead. And then, and then, then of course, with before too long, of course, there were equally great bands coming back out of America. So yeah, it was it was wonderful. Yep. Yeah. So for you, was it was it rock and roll, or was it also? Did you get into jazz or blues or any of that? Yeah. Were... So as I got older, I, I got into a lot more different stuff. Inevitably, perhaps because of the the era that I got interested in. If if you were in 1989, going into 90 ish, you still had the kind of hair metal scene was was kind of around. Yeah. And um, that was kind of the most exciting use of guitar mm. that you could hear where it was kind of in the forefront. So I really belatedly actually, ironically, just as it was going out of fashion in the early nineties, I kind of got into the white snake and stuff. So I was into the heavy metal. And then later on, I did get into people like Al Dimiola, jazz and stuff. And I went through a phase where I quite heavily got into learning to play classical guitar, which, you know, way too late because that, that requires such discipline and hours. I was never going to really get great at it. But I, I got to the point where I could bodge along and do a few bark pieces and stuff. So quite a different uh, mix of different stuff that I did play, but never really anything huge in terms of bands. I did have a rock covers band called, uh, at one point it was called Metal Detector. And then it was, you get the, you know, the idea. And then it because we thought it's better to have a name starting with A, because it gets you on the up, high up the list of alphabetical order. We went for the very boring name of Absolute Rock. But that was in my early 30s and we just played pubs for you know 50 quid each so it was fun mm -hmm. but and we did wear we we put on big hair wigs and stuff like white snake and uh ladies, yeah, bought ladies. And, yeah 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 leopard skin tights i used to buy from the <laughs> ladies or uh so that was kind of fun but i haven't done that for a long time yeah we have we have friends i i'm in los angeles and we have friends who are uh who were in we have a friend who was in warrant which was oh, one of wow. our bands, yes. And uh, we had, in, in the beginning, he was in Warrant. Okay, and then, oh, wow. And then uh, another friend who guitar teched for uh, for uh, the guy who was the main guitarist for Poison, you know. Brilliant. So, uh, 
Brett, no, hang on. Um, CC Deville. CC Deville, yes. Yeah. yeah. And then and then another guy teched for Dave Navarro of wow. addiction. So yes. that was being caught like stealing. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Wow. I didn't know that. Oh, we, we have some kind of common links there. Yeah. Cherry Pie by Warren. What a song that was. Yeah. So that was like, <laughs> like for me, I'm older than you. I'm 52 and my brother oh, wow. is nine years older than me. And so I got his music. So I got mm. the Beatles and I got the yeah. song somewhat, but it was more Beatles flavored. And then right, right. Dylan, of course, Tull and, and, and The Who. We were yeah. lucky enough to see The Who at the Hollywood Bowl three oh, wow. years ago. Roger oh, Daltrey yeah. still in fine form, as well as Pete Townsend. I absolutely love The Who, yeah. The Who, mm -hmm. even when I was maybe leaning towards the more hair metal, I always loved The Who. I, I had that video of their performance at Woodstock and it was so it was so great. And obviously the, the Townsend, the, the windmill thing, and yep. the Keith Moon, I loved all that. Yeah, but yep. what a and great the, band. And, the, yeah. and the spinning microphone. Roger yeah. Daltrey, when I was four years old, Roger Daltrey was my hero. And I thought, I want to wear a fringe like that and be able to swing a microphone like that. <laughs> I totally get that. I can absolutely, yeah, he was an absolute Adonis. Yeah, he was brilliant, actually. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and, I hope that he it. was beautiful. And that is a part of rock and roll. It, I mean, let's face it. You know, um, <laughs> you're, you're, you know, people, uh, people who are maybe not so good looking were the songwriters, but the front yeah. guys, you know, you look at Mick Jagger, you know, I mean, maybe oh, not yeah. so much now, bless him. You know, <laughs> back in the day, back in 1968, he was a beautiful man, you know? Yeah, yeah, kind uh, of strangely beautiful with his, his kind of, you know, his big lips and all that. But absolutely, yeah. I, I, I get that totally. And I, the, you're absolutely right, the visual and the theater of uh, rock and roll is that always appealed to me. I had a massive phase again, retrospectively of loving the, the makeup era kiss, just because yeah. I loved I loved the makeup and, and the, oh, the yeah. costume and all that craziness, yeah. Well, and, and what's interesting about them is they are, uh, KISS was certainly very profit motivated and they were oh, one man. of the ones who really, really commercialized everything and um, and uh, I, um, I know people yeah. met them and stuff, and and they're definitely. I mean, Gene Simmons is a character and a half, but uh, well, he was the most. Dare I say, he was the one who was the real, real businessman there, wasn't yeah. he? And that's why he kind of fell out with some of the other members. And and Ace Freely was a bit of a loose cannon, and there's yeah. a lot of bad blood between them. <laughs> the, the space cadet Ace Freely. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I know a little bit about that. Yeah, very, very interesting. But but you're right. It's a little bit weird the way they're now. They've got different members dressing as the old ones some i know some mm -hmm. hardcore fans are not too approving of that right right because yep. they don't have any of the original people but you know also yeah. speaking of fragrances with regard to i mean i think of uh so supposedly Guerlain's abbey rouge is keith richard's signature fragrance this is what i have heard right this is it yep yep and i actually got some the other week and it was interesting because it, it's very there's a there's a huge floral note in the middle of it that rose and carnation thing and it seems mm. kind of at odds with the initial citrus blast and mm. then you kind of dry down to this sort of powdery i um irisy sort of a thing and then it gets kind of leathery but then it gets vanilla it gets very yeah. vanilla at the end of it and it goes through this whole life cycle and i'm thinking is it like is this something that Keith Richards was conscious of? You know, I don't know, but it came out in '65, right? So it would have been yeah. a big release at that particular time, and you know, rock stars of the day might have been like, "Oh, try this," you know, and. <laughs>
Yeah, I, th I like your English accent there. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that's absolutely. There's a photo out there somewhere from a, a Rolling Stone article or something. I don't know if it's the 80s or 70s. And it's got this kind of fantastically messy table in Keith yes. Richards' abode. And one of the things, if you're very observant, is a bottle of Habit Rouge. I think there's a Fahrenheit in there too. There is Fahrenheit. Uh, well, I've yeah. seen that. You've seen, you know the pick, mm -hmm. yeah. I think he said he switched, once he switched his game up from Old Spice to Habit Rouge, I think he said apparently that things improved with the ladies. Uh-huh. Not that he needed any help, I would have thought, being Keith Richards. But anyway. I was going to say, I don't think anybody on the Stones would need would have needed help. Seriously. <laughs> Certainly not. Agreed. I agree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But then, so then, so I want to get back to um, a, a bit about the, the, the fragrances and whatnot. And oh, I was going to say that music and fragrance, their connection is notes. <laughs> but more than that, though, but more than that, I think that there is a connection to memory because songs have that power too to bring back, mm. you know, where, where was I in high school, you know, listening mm. to Cure, sitting on the beach or whatever, you know. Good point. Yeah. Memories of yeah. what was going on at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. I think a lot of this stuff that we don't, maybe I didn't realize it and don't like to admit it to myself because I'm, I'm not very in touch with my emotions, perhaps the music and the, the fragrance, whether I realize it or not, now that you've mentioned it is some kind of way of getting some kind of contact with my emotions, which I don't actually, you're, you're the person for Zen body living. And I think I need some help with that because <laughs> I don't really, I don't have any mindfulness going on here. So maybe this is about as good as it gets for me that the, the, the fragrances are triggering some emotions and subconscious stuff as, as indeed the music, you know, all the lyrics are often very emotive in songs and, and even the sounds can be quite heartrending in, in some songs. So I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, there is a, a strange connection there with, and I think it's all about emotion and maybe nostalgia and memory obviously tie into that, don't they? Yeah. And I think it also ties us to, you can, be, by the way, you can be forgiven because you're English. So it, okay. you know, it's, a, it's your, where you're from. It's, it's in the air. So don't feel For the bad. stiff upper lip type of thing you mean. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're not like us, uh, us Yanks who tend to be uh, more, more emotive. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, definitely. You will see a copy of the Daily Stoic on my table over there. So, uh, you know, I'm all for rationality. <laughs> yes, but, um, I'm with you on that. Stoicism is a very valuable property and or quality to, if you've got it, yeah. Well, and I was going to say, so going into Stoicism, actually, because it's about seeing things as they are, as opposed to how you feel about them which is a different, a different thing. And so I, for many, many years, I studied Taoist philosophy with some martial artists and meditators. Wow. They had a great, about 20 years of education in that department. And the Taoists have a lot in common with the Stoics because it, 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 it has to do with seeing things, again, as they are, not as you think they are or gotcha. that you feel that they are. But, mm -hmm. and in seeing things in their actuality, it means that you can respond appropriately as opposed to, you know, in a magnified yeah. way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think that's, that's great. Yeah. I think that's very much that's philosophy I must look into because I don't, you know, I've heard of Taoism, mm -hmm. Maoism, but I don't Tao, know much yes. about Taoism. So uh, I guess yeah. it's isn't the place for you to give me an in-depth explanation but uh, perhaps I need to familiarize with that it sounds like I might like it yeah well it's all about equanimity it's all about balance it's mm. you know and and to be in a healthy state of mind and body 
it's helpful mm -hmm. not to be at extremes. That's and, true. Um, yeah. We're living in a time where we're seeing these polarities, whether that's political, whether that's yeah. your side of the pond or mine, mm -hmm. or with regard to um, the COVID thing that's going on and all the division regarding that. And, mm. and um, I'm hoping that perhaps at some point people will, as I say, calm the fuck down. <laughs> oh, we're allowed to swear on this podcast. That's yes, like, you can say whatever you like. Absolutely. Ah, good. Yes. <laughs> I'm a believer. I, I I'm a lover of George Carlin, the great comic, who who always said oh. that every word is valid, provided you use it well. Good. Yeah. Okay. Good. I agree with you. I don't know his work, but that sounds. I agree. Yeah. 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 You're right. Things got very simple and and oversimplified and and extrem extremified, if that's a word now. So you know, if if you're um on one side of things, you're a I don't know what you are, a libtard or whatever they call them, or if you're on the other side, you must be a, a gung-ho Trump supporter, right. mm -hmm. uh, and you're either a, a total, uh, I don't know, a feminist, or you must be a, almost a misogynist, and you, you right. know, you're either a, a, an extreme Black Lives Matter activist, or you must be a white supremacist. So right. it's very, very strange times, but uh, yeah, I don't think it's healthy. It's not, and there's also a thing, and 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 so this can bring us into the the, the phenomenon of social media, which in one yes. sense can be a, a really beautiful thing in the sense that we can just it doesn't matter who you are, you can share stuff, you can share your photos, you can you know share experiences, whatever. That can be a lovely thing. But what has happened is it has become divisive, and um, I I know that. I, I myself limit my time on social media. I tend to use it to promote the pod, uh, put up yeah. pictures of Jack, <laughs> um, you know, uh, something inspiring, something to do with health and wellness. Um, mm -hmm. Something to, that if it's not, if it's not beautiful, um, funny, interesting, charming, like this cat, it doesn't go up. It doesn't, yeah. I do not go down the rabbit hole of, of the comments because it just, yeah. it, it can come to no good because there is somebody out there who's going to see something in there and they're going to say, I'm offended. Yeah, absolutely. And this is this... new, Dan. This is something that we didn't, it's interesting because back in the seventies and eighties, when I was growing up, we used to, you know, people, you know, here in the States, Democrat, Republicans, who cares? I mean, nobody really cared. And, and you knew that maybe somebody had a different point of view than you, but it wasn't, it wasn't a condemnation. It was, all right, you know, so you're a Republican or you're a Democrat. Nobody mm. cared. It was, are you a nice person? Do we get along? And you can sit down, have a meal and, uh, and have a conversation. And if you didn't agree with, you could love each other anyway. But yeah. we're in a different time now where there's a sort of virtue signaling kind of um, passive aggressive um, overreaction to things that are, um, they're not a big deal, but it becomes, um, it becomes a big deal because it gets spun and then it gets bigger yeah. and bigger and bigger. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It's very, very strange times. I mean, as you say, years ago, and maybe still in, in real life now, when you speak to your friend in, you know, actually face to face, mm -hmm. people say all kinds of politically incorrect, offensive sure. things that if they'd actually, if that was online for everyone to see for all time, they would be absolutely strung up and, you know, they might lose their job or God knows what. So, but a lot of people don't seem to get this and they go around sharing 
you know, maybe they're online known as a fragrance fan, uh, but they post stuff about comp maybe completely non-fragrance stuff, make political posts about stuff. And then someone else who likes fragrances comes back and gets really angry. And then suddenly they're no longer following each other to look at each other's fragrance pictures. So um, this is cr crazy stuff that's going on. So I, I never, you know, everything on my, I'm a, well, I do, I'm on social media a lot, but I'd never, unless someone else, brings up a, a fight with me i don't make posts about political issues or or, or anything co really very controversial i don't try and you know i'm very i don't want anyone who watches my channel to know or care about my political opinions or anything like that because i yeah i don't care if somebody is a, a very strong trump supporter or an extremist green party member i, I can still be good friends with them and, and talk about fragrances that's fine yeah. um but yeah so it's, it's very intriguing that it's, other people do have a different what they, they put everything or a lot of things out there even though they're mainly supposed to be in whatever community it is to talk about eg fragrances uh, and that that's this is getting things to be very difficult uh, in the in the online world fun though as you say in many ways it's great but there's so much bad stuff happening with it too well and i think that that's that's why it's important to really know what is positive about it utilize it to its greatest potential mm. and then let the other stuff go because you could never apologize enough if mm. and and i think too what's what really bothers me is that one can have the best of intentions and not mean anything at all nothing negative about anyone and mm -hmm. like you were saying you know with regard to how you use humor on your channel mm. and you know, you're the butt of the joke <laughs> you know you're, you're yeah most, yeah and and so for somebody to read something into it and then get bent out of shape about it they're not giving you the benefit of the doubt that you mm. dan are a nice person and a good person and that you do good work that's entertaining yeah. like they're yeah. they're not they don't think about that Instead, mm. they just think, oh, you must be blah, 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 because mm. it fits them in a certain way. Again, this is certain yeah. people. This is not the majority. This is, you know, certain people out there. Um, yeah, this is exactly it. Yeah. So uh, I don't know if you, whether you're going to lead into this or you want me to mention it, I don't know, but I, I'm just going to go ahead. So yeah, go ahead. what you're hinting at there is maybe the reason I've, in the end that we interacted, um, was that recently there was a little it sounds insane because how can anyone get upset when you about things to do with a fragrance reviewer uh, but there was a very uh, entertaining <laughs> spat online because I posted up a video called top 10 sexiest fragrance reviewers mm -hmm. all of whom were female right. and of course as I probably knew a few people who, who perhaps well, yes, a few people got very offended by this, particularly, I think many of them just saw the thumbnail and the title of the video and, and said that's really um, not acceptable in the year 2021, that we rank women according to their sexiness. And uh, so there was a bit of an online spat and a few, you know, people were sort of tagging me and saying how abhorrent this, this person is. And, and as you say, I was suddenly I was perhaps painted as the middle-aged white misogynist man, middle-class man from England, or which, which wasn't, you know, is not what I am. Uh, but it, one thing that I don't know if this ties in with what you think one should do, but I must admit, little did they know, I do quite enjoy uh, an online spat. If so, if someone else wants to come at me or whatever, I, I'm quite happy. I'm not. I reckon that they thought, well, he's got his 
fragrance channel. He has his little fragrance brand. He's not. He's going to be scared, and he's just going to want to hope this will go away. But they were. They got a little bit of a rude awakening when I turned around and actually turned it a little bit to my advantage because let's face it, controversy is exciting and it gets people interesting. So right. I would admit that I was a little bit mischievous in what right. I did, and I you didn't entirely just a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, so they, I wouldn't say they walked into my trap exactly because it wasn't quite like that, but it didn't work out too badly. And I thought, well, this could be, I mean, you've interest, you, you, you're interviewing me at a great interesting time because I'm really thinking about changing what I do in the videos a bit because if, if you just talk about reviewing fragrances, it's great, but there isn't that much to say. It, it's really good in, and it's a community and it's really people enjoy human interaction like we're doing now so and that can involve a little bit of a spat and an argument i mean not not that i cancel the people that i disagree with but it's it's good to have a bit of back and forth so uh, and so controversy and a little bit of banter and oh god i'm so angry with this person i find when i watch other videos in other genres on YouTube. I love that, I, I relish it. There's a guy called Archie Luxury. I'm not sure if you're aware of him. Oh he, yes, I, yeah, a little yeah, bit. Now, a little bit. I don't support much, well, he says some very unacceptable things, but I love watching his video, but he, he calls himself Paul Pluto, the method actor who plays Archie Luxury. So the character, it perhaps this is how he gets away with it. He can say, that's not really me. And he goes on, you know, he used to go on incredible expletive rants, uh, and, he, you know, he, he, ex he calls himself the pontiff of the watch collecting community. And he, he got in a real argument with another YouTuber and he excommunicated him from the community and banned him. And he was you know, just right raving. And I find that all supremely entertaining and enjoyable. So I, I embrace the drama a bit. Not, not if it's really stuff where people are, sure. you know, God forbid that people are being bullied and, and seriously right. upset and hurt and all that. But right. if it's big boys and grown ups, people arguing about something as daft as fragrances and a silly trivial little video, then I do, I do enjoy the, the back and forth. So it's, it's, that's me. I, I'm, I'm a bit mischievous. Well, and there is something, I mean, there, there definitely is a climate of, of, of cancel culture that has infested uh, Hollywood, because mm. I'm in it. Um, right. And you yeah. see, uh, I, I did comedy for a brief time for about a year. Oh, and right. I had an adventure <laughs> doing stand-up. And so we know, and my fiance is, uh, has been at the, at the comedy store for 22 years playing piano, he's a musician. And, um, and, and that, that has changed a lot. Comedy has changed now because people are worried about offending someone or, or they're not, or they go the other way. And then mm. it becomes a whole flap. And then, and then there's a, so there's a lot of, uh, consternation and um and infighting within within the entertainment industry right now and uh and that it's it's a strange time mm. and uh and there there's the line between what is what is funny and mm. there is some genuinely offensive stuff you know like yeah. I, certain things i just don't want to see but you know what i wouldn't want to see that if I know, for example, that there's a comic who really is just, uh, I just want to mm. go through that comic, that's all. You know, I already know what yeah. they're about. Whereas, um, uh, you know, other people are a little bit gentler, <laughs> you know, but funny is funny and, and, sure. and, and they have to sell tickets. And there certainly are mm. people who will poke the bear mm. 
to to elicit uh, controversy, a uh, little bit of uh, a little bit of um, you know knife fighting, proverbial knife fighting, uh, yeah. to, because that's how they how they get people you know riled up. But it's a strange yeah. time that we're in because mm. yes, in our lives you want to be more sensitive to other people and whatnot. At the same time, there's the other side of it, which is it can get ridiculous. Mm. You know, there's a false outrage about certain things, you know, and that's, and I think that we're trying to find that line between mm. the two, you know, because like you said, bullying is absolutely bad, you know, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. and being intentionally offensive to harm someone or to hurt someone is not acceptable. Mm. However, the use in comedy is that it's, it can be a gray area, you know? This is absolutely true. I mean, it's very, very difficult to have good com. Well, you, you know, you can have good comedy that's very non-offensive, but it, it, it's pretty hard to have a lot of really good varied comedy that that's never rude or even a little bit nasty or offensive. And and going back, there are many people. I mean, even if you, if you, if you go back to South Park or something, there's a lot of stuff in that that's I don't know it well, but the things the characters say are probably racist and or sexist at times and yet I think we kind of accept that that series is just about okay because it doesn't mean they're advocating those ideas but there's humor in it okay it's a satire it were basically yes it's a, a yes it's a satire it's a satire I mean there used to be a character on tv in Britain called Alf Garnet now I'm not saying it was my favorite thing people watching in the UK would know, or listening in the UK would know and it was called in sickness and in health and the character was a very racist white man who used to just, he was an idiot really, but he used to say very rude racist things to character or to and about people in this program. Uh, and of course, many people thought it was a shocking and terrible series, even back in the less politically correct 60s, 70s and 80s. Uh, and I'm not saying it's necessary to my taste, but the, the, the thing that he, and the actor who played this character used to sometimes get racist people coming up to him in the street and saying, I love it when you, you give it back to those black guys. Mm. But the point is that this guy was trying to satirize the stupidity right. of racism. He yes. was actually a Jewish man who yeah. had been, it was even had been a member of the communist party before. And so we have to have the possibility of people saying politically correct, incorrect things, maybe as a character satirizing that, mm -hmm. uh, but, yeah, nowadays that's getting harder and harder. Well, and I think that takes, uh, for example, here, well, you mentioned South Park, but also we had Beavis and Butthead. And yes. we also and we also had All in the Family. I don't know if you guys ever saw that. I, I've heard of it, yeah. Archie Bunker was the character, and he's this guy who's this curmudgeonous, you know, racist, sexist, old school guy. But the point yeah. of the character was that he said all these horrible things. And of course you'd be like, you know, you'd be, you'd be shocked yeah. at them, but they're satire, they're sat satirizing that kind of person. Mm. And the humor came in was when that guy who is the clown essentially yeah, yeah. right about certain things. Yeah. That yeah. was the, that was the push pull in that right. very sophisticated comedy. And I don't think you could make that show now. Mm. 
So he was right. You think sometimes he, he, he despite well, all his faults, occasionally he made a good point or something. He was, and it, and it wasn't about you know any racist comment or sexist no, comment yeah, that he made yeah. that was right, but it was some yeah. other things that maybe you'd be like, huh, <laughs> you know, mm. and 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 it would kind of turn on your head what you thought mm. about something, and that was the. Yeah. But it it takes some intelligence to recognize that because it was certainly yeah. not advocating racism or sexism at all it was mm -hmm. actually the opposite yeah but it was a very sophisticated show yeah and um and you, you know you, you 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 see this and and um so again there is a line between uh between what is satire mm. and, and what is smart comedy and then mm. stuff that's just downright offensive and what's interesting is that stuff that's downright offensive it's really mostly not at all funny <laughs> you know i mean good yeah, yeah, comedy yeah. is smart mm, yeah and, and very true some of the best comedy also is the thing where you laugh despite yourself you feel like mm. you know should i yeah should I, should I be laughing right now oh my god yeah 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 yeah, yeah. that kind of reaction and yeah that is uh and and when you have people like richard pryor Brilliant, yeah, yeah. Somebody like George Carlin, same thing. You know, mm -hmm. they would say that's something you'd be like, yeah, yeah. Well, that exactly that's what that's to yeah. I'm the same. Those are the best things. Yeah, they're out and out. I mean, we have a comedian here called Roy Chubby Brown, and he is he does tell racist jokes. I, I don't think anyone really, even whatever, he's not going to go down in history as a very clever or good comedian you know it's right. poor stuff really uh, but then again to, i don't know if you agree but one of my favorite shows is a perfect i hope a perfect example of this is curb your enthusiasm with larry david yes, yes. where there's so much stuff like it almost seems like he's making fun of handicapped pe uh, disabled people but he's not but there's a scene where the, the guy in a wheelchair turns out to be an asshole <laughs> and yeah. normally people in wheelchairs can't be depicted in our right. as right. in a program and you see so you're thinking should I laugh but you can and and because yes. he's Jewish, he can get away with a bit more because he's Jewish so he can even make right. jokes he got, he got in trouble because someone another Jewish person caught him whistling a Wagner tune and and Hitler used to like Wagner Wagner <laughs> so they got in a row so he, I mean, he can get away with maybe a little bit more because of that but it is you know that's that's a great example for me of, yeah. of, of one of my comical heroes of all time yeah well and and that's again that's smart writing that's smart comedy and mm. and uh you know and it's sar it, and sarcasm brilliantly applied mm. you know and yeah. and he's a you know, Larry David's character is a, he's a total curmudgeon. He's not yes. you know, lovable at all. It's just like, and yet he's, he's so a, watchable. Yeah, he's a little bit lovable. And yeah. half the, some of the time he's right. You know? yes. That's exactly the point you made. Yeah, a lot of the time you think I would never say that's horrific, that's terrible. But there are so many things in each episode you think, yeah, I'm with you on that one, Larry. I'm with you all the way. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, that, yeah. This is what we need. We need that ability to do that. And and just you know, an example of that, which is I'm not in any way anywhere near that level of comedy in anything I do. But so one of the things that upset people in the intro of my top ten sexy reviewers uh, video was there were quite a lot of sexual jokes at the beginning, and I I made a joke about going to a prostitute, right. uh, and it wasn't a terribly funny joke, but it, the joke was on me. Right. And it didn't mean somebody there later commented I shouldn't make jokes about my vile lifestyle. So I, I think they literally thought that I meant I do use prostitutes, which, which I don't. Uh, and, and, and yeah, so we can it's talk not to about knock prostitutes, but no, and I don't knock prostitutes <laughs> because, you know, that's I don't. Yeah, I wouldn't 
I don't knock people who have had to do that for a living. I, I wouldn't necessarily condemn to hell forever anyone who has ever used one, right. although it's not the nice, you know, I don't suppose it's the, the, the greatest crime of the century, but it, it doesn't happen to be something I've done. But um, yeah, it, it, it was a joke that was intended to make me look like a bit of a, an idiot. Uh, but, <laughs> well, but they just didn't think you could even mention a prostitute in a funny right. way at all, which is that, what kind of world is it going to be if we can't laugh at grim well, and also you, subject? Sorry, yeah. You, you also kind of have this interesting thing whereby you kind of play with the idea of the, the suave and dashing man yeah. of the world, yes. you know, sort of James Bondy kind of persona. <laughs> And then yeah. it, it's so obviously not that, and that's what makes it funny. What so, do you mean? <laughs> I thought I was. <laughs> yeah, that's it. No, the, exactly. The character, I mean, in, in, you know, yeah. I guess I like being called Mr. Smelly in a way. I mean, it is, there's a lot of me. It's not method acting, but there's a lot of me. And yeah, the character Mr. Smelly is a loser. He, he doesn't ever right. get the girl. Uh, you know, he drinks too much. He it's is self-loathing and uh, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, absolutely, yeah, totally. Yeah, this is it. That's the that's the joke. Uh, but I guess you know, to be fair to people who were outraged, perhaps they were new around here. They'd never seen that, and they just thought I was saying, "Isn't it funny to go to prostitutes and uh, that kind of thing?" The other so that's, thing yeah. is that as as a YouTuber, you are competing with a lot of thumbnails. Yeah, yeah. With a lot of, and the thing is, is that fragrance is a sensual thing mm. is a thing that it, it is um it is in the realm of the senses and so there mm. is there is a a sensual or sexual side per se and you are competing with all these other people yeah yeah gotta and be yeah so if, and and because you want to uh have people click on your channel you're going to want to mm. put something up that's provocative in a certain way to attract 100. Mm -hmm. right 100 percent yeah You've got, I'm going to mention Jeremy Fragrance, uh, who's a, who's a character and a half, you know, who's yep. sort of ridiculously Zoolander-ish, good-looking yep. guy, who I think is, mm. and, you know, he's a brilliant fragrance reviewer and all that, but he also plays, plays himself to the hilt, if you will. Yes. <laughs> and, but he uses it to great effect. He has a lot mm. of followers. Isn't he the top number one yeah he's the number one gaming get in town because he has he's a, i mean he's a, you have to evolve he's evolved in many different ways but first of all he was the guy who got uh, attractive young women on the videos and got their opinions and he did a lot of top to you know all about sexy fragrances and how to get compliments he boiled it he said you know if i would wear a fragrance that would smell like shit if i thought it would <laughs> get girls to like me right and uh, for a lot of people that's appealing and you're yeah you know on on the internet, it's all about getting attention. There's thousands of other thumbnails. So of course I deliberately, I'm provocative. And people said, I didn't like your video because it was clickbait. Well, duh, that's what we're doing. I want people to watch the video. Yes. So we're doing things that are provocative and have the word sex in the title and maybe even pictures of sexy women. Well, I'm not one myself. So I have to <laughs> talk about other sexy women or something. So it is gratuitous. Uh, and you have to do that a little bit. Now, the content of the video then can be a bit more thought-provoking than perhaps the thumbnail appeared to be. But yeah, we're definitely seeing that. And, and new channels have come through now. One of the big things is the big, you mentioned Jeremy's number one. I, I bet he's not maybe by this time next year because we've got female reviewers now coming through who are attractive young women 
yes kind of made me why i did this video yeah. and they they talk a lot they you know they, they know a lot about fragrances they may do women's fragrances too but they some of them some of them talk a lot about men's fragrances because it's a no-brainer that men who are interested in finding out about men's fragrances probably also have that basic human instinct that if they see an attractive woman in the thumbnail they'll pick that video and then they get a bit of if yeah i'm not saying all the lady female reviewers are like this but if they do get some titillation maybe from the video at the same time it works and these channels are growing very very fast there's one called curly fragrance i think her latest video i really encourage you to watch it because it's very very rude provocative a lot of you know, she would admit this a lot of sexual references are outrageous in fact and full respect to her and these are the channels that, that are going to to completely surpass the male reviewers and the people who just do rather in-depth reviews of fragrances i'm afraid they might still do okay but they, they will be left in in the dust by these ladies channels uh, and some of these female reviewers also are doing more serious stuff too. There's a, there's a mixture, but this is why I'm trying to evolve a bit because I, I'll, I'll only stay very low level if I if I just do uh, traditional fuchsia, you know, the vintage fragrance reviews and a little joke at the beginning. I am deliberately trying to get uh, a little bit provocative. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's where you have to find the line for yourself, which is, is this, is this true to my own vision? Yeah. And yeah, also, yeah. is this going to get some attention? I think of the lovely guys, the, uh, the wafts from the loft. Um, They're great. I love them. Yeah, yeah. I love them. And uh, they are, uh, they, they, they tend to love their niche fragrances and whatnot. They did mm. have one about Guerlain. They, they did, they ran the gamut there. And I love them because they're just these two guys who are two married guys who are passionate about fragrances and they're in mm. the organ loft and they just talk about that and they're just so you know so yeah yeah, yeah. and I, I absolutely adore them and and so for you know they have their their following yeah yeah you have yours and then jeremy fragrance has his and some of mm. the ladies that you you know that you mentioned because i did watch that video um yeah you made a point of saying that these women are um you know they're they're doing some amazing things and they there are people who have real knowledge you know that's mm. just a pretty face these are people who have yeah, yeah. and um and you know there's respect there and also you are helping to uh to bolster them um which i think is great you know well let me yeah but be very clear that yeah they, they are not just pretty faces and they're very smart business people and uh, creators of content and editing and all that and they I doubt a lot of them need, need my help much because that many of them are now already bigger than me but yes indeed I was only intending to be be helpful and yeah all the points you make they're very very I love you know channels like wafts from the loft there's one called Scentland, a guy called Chris and yeah. these people are, are probably as although they're as good as anyone 100% that perhaps they do have a day job and that kind of thing so they, they're not so desperate you know it doesn't matter if they get huge growth or whatever and they're very content with with the way they do it and they, they've got some decent amount of followers fantastic um but of course those channels naturally will, will you know it's a bit like um a tabloid newspaper versus versus a broadsheet you know always more people will read the tabloid paper than the broadsheet but of course you know some people the con you know, people with a little bit more 
want to take their time and know a bit more about things will read the more highbrow thing. And these are more highbrow channels. I'm trying to tread a very weird path where I do have hope. You know, I'm not just doing here's how to get girls, guys. I have a specific kind of fragrance I'm into, a gentlemanly thing. So I'm doing this contrast, which is kind of, I guess that's my unique, my USP, my unique selling point is I have a contrast. It is some serious fragrance content. But it's also going to be almost Benny Hill level or carry on, <laughs> carry on film humor or something to, to even toilet humor and yeah. a little bit of outrage. I'm going to try and br do bring both things together and it probably won't succeed, but I'm going to try. And I, I really enjoy that. You know, I, I right now I'm more excited sometimes about the, the jokes and the, maybe even being a little bit provocative than I am about the fragrances a little bit. I go through different phases, but right now that's what's inspiring me. It's a creative outlet. And, and I you're really, having really fun. I mean, clearly yeah, yeah. you're having a good time when you're doing it. And uh, Yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah. And I did those, also... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, those guys who, who got upset with me made my weekend last week because I was bored. I didn't have a lot going. It was really, it was fun. So yeah, I do yeah, love it. I yeah. do. I'm glad it made your week. I was <laughs> all upset about you. Like, oh God, poor Dan, you know? No, no. It was a few people have said, are you okay? But I'm like, no, don't, you know, honestly, this is, it's been, it's been quite fun. Yeah. That's the stoic in you. Good for you. It, yeah. They, I'm quite a hard person to really get down. Yeah. I, you can knock me down, but I tend to keep getting up. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did also want to mention that you are the creative director of Naughton and Wilson. Which yes, is yes. And I wanted to ask you about, um, you have uh, Gravitas Pour Homme, of course, and yeah. which is your latest uh, mm. latest uh, thing. Are you, are you, um, you and your team developing new scents or what's happening? More yeah, so we're going to do a third one really soon. So we got, I think I can tell you without uh, giving anything away that I'm not allowed to. We're going to have a th hopefully a third one out before the end of the year and maybe a fourth one too. The two things in the offing are an Oda Sport flanker to Gravitas, which is a complete marketing suicide because it's a completely old fashioned, outdated way of describing a fragrance, hence why I want to do it. Uh, so, you know, you used to have a fresh flanker to an original fragrance and back in the 80s, they'd call it an odor sport. So we're going to try that. And then we're going to do a third one, which will be maybe a sort of more rich, a Chypre sense. Again, a classic, maybe in the vein of some Galan classics, or maybe we even thought things like Derby from Galan, a discontinued classic. So something a little bit more heavy and potent than Gravitas is, is kind of heavy in some way. So, we, yeah, we're excited to get those happening. We've got a very small operation. We have what our perfumer is John Stephen, who makes perfumes to a lot of people, and he's struggling with the, the the lockdowns have made his business yeah. not work so fast. So hopefully we get them out, but it's exciting to, to have that. And I'm, I'm very, I mean, I can't, I cannot believe that I've got my own fragrance brand. It's, it's madness, but that is the beauty that YouTube gives you the opportunity to do that because I've, I've basically got my own very small TV channel to market it on. So lucky me. And I'm, you know, if, if I don't make any more money out of it and my whole channel shuts down tomorrow, I can sort of die happy a little bit that I was able to create two fragrances with my name on them. Uh, it's just remarkable. Are you thinking that you might eventually venture into women's sense at some point? We, we'd love to, yeah. The, the thing is, uh, at the moment, I think 90 something percent of the people who've ever bought it, it's directly or indirectly because of my channel that they've bought it. And my channel is what you could probably could call a sausage party. Uh, <laughs> 96 or something percent of the viewers are men. So, you know, and they ain't buying and they're not really looking to buy fragrances for the, the, their lady friends. So from a, you know, just a, a 
economics point of view right now i don't think i do very well at getting people to buy a women's fragrance but if, if things evolve differently maybe one day that would be really nice yeah well and also too so many so many scents are are, are unisex you know like yeah 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 I, I have a favorite um hermes uh d'orange verte which is yep. which is a lovely lovely unisex thing kind of an orange blossom bomb i have it yeah 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 um, that's, uh, you know, and I love that, that it's not specifically for one or the other. It's how, mm. I mean, a man could wear Shalimar. I mean, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, just 100%. Abbe Rouge is a, is a, is a flower bomb designed for a man. Mm, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. It works on a woman. So, you know, it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter, but, um, but uh, it's, yeah. Yeah, you, you're totally right. Yeah, as we're positioning ourselves as a quote unquote niche house, most of those releases are actually not labeled male or female officially. Mm -hmm. We were a bit unusual in calling one poor homme. So yeah, a lot of what we do may well be something that either either you know anyone can wear. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But but your but your gravitas poor homme really is inspired by the the older classic gentlemanly fougeres. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we talked to the perfumer and uh, it was, you know, we'd, we'd mentioned in passing a couple of specific fragrances, but I, I don't think he was, you know, trying to think about any other fragrance when he did it. But we, we just gave a, a good description and he was luckily he, he's a real old school kind of guy. So when we gave him the brief, he was like, oh, that's I can definitely I can definitely do something there. So I think it was refreshing for him because some of the other niche brands he works with naturally are having to sort of do what's on trend and all that kind of thing. So this this was just a return to like a, a good classic traditional masculine type of fragrance, which uh, is sort of like the, if he was a chef, it would be the the roux sauce or whatever, the thing you have to learn to make first yes. <laughs> to be a half decent or chef and then do it. Or whatever it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've never been able to do that, but. And there yeah. are trends in fragrance, you know, there's certainly, um, uh, I think back in the, in the seventies, certainly for women, there was this kind mm. of, um, you know, what we refer to as Oriental fragrances. There was a mm. push, uh, opium, YSL's opium, yeah. a huge, huge yeah. one of those. And then there've been several flankers of that. And, but it's so interesting to, to and then the eighties were, were all about the loud fragrance and yeah. then in the nineties, it became more aquatic, you know? Yeah like Aqua Dijon and things like mm. that, um, Calvin Klein Eternity, whatnot. And, and it's so interesting to me that the thing, what is in the zeitgeist that, mm. that makes perfumers think, hey, we're going to push this. Yeah. It's me. What is it? In, what, is, what are they picking up on? Or does somebody, does somebody come up with one that's really successful and then everybody else says, hey, I'm going to do something that's like CK1 or I'm going to yeah. do like uh, L'Odyssee you know, or um, you know, any of those. Yeah, there's always some kind of trend going on, and it's all, it's also interesting. How does that actually tie into maybe the what's going on in the wider world, and how do the, how does the on-trend fragrance reflect the world that we live in? So you know, are there do those heavy fragrances of the '80s? It kind of tells us something about what was going on in that decade, and then the type of some of the sort of pop popular fresh fragrances that are sort of a little bit safe and not too out there today maybe tell us about the sort of the, the trends of the world i don't I'm, i don't know but yeah it's very very interesting subject yeah or or it was uh what was it uh was it jacques gerlin who uh who came up with whatever it was that that he referred to as it it hinted at the the scent of his mistress's undercarriage oh really <laughs> yes. did he i didn't know this wow that is kind of me it's very it's very it's very um 
basic, shall we say. <laughs> yes. And, and that is a that is an element in the Gerlinade, in 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 what in what sort of the 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 common thread that weaves through a lot of the Guerlain fragrances is that. Mm -hmm. and, you know, dare we say, I mean, it's it was scandalous actually mm. back in the day when when uh Shalimar, and I'm holding yeah. this came out in 1925. And this yeah. was, uh, you know, he came up with this, and it was uh, essentially designed for his mistress. And it, right. it I like her. it. So, yeah. and and it was considered so sexy and too rather erotic for people to wear. It, mm -hmm. was, it was considered wow. <gasps> it was shocking yeah. at the time. Yeah, yeah. Now, now we'd say, oh, it's a great classic fragrance, but at the time it was considered rather because it was all very, you know, fresh and and. Mm springy and floral florals are big for mm. women and you got something that's got some some uh, you know in yeah there. yeah and uh and so that was that was the big shocker back in 1925 yeah well, i bet it was back then yeah and yeah raunchiness in the smell of fragrances has, has certainly been a huge thing throughout history and a lot of the the, the ingredients and notes that create those elements they, it's unbelievable when i found this stuff out that it comes comes from a there's castorium which is from a beaver's sure. gland somewhere the civet cat spray yeah. scrapings from the backside and yeah. and these all tie in with maybe kind of animalic uh feelings within people and of course if you just smell that ingredient on its own up close yeah, it's horrible. not very nice but uh, it's very yeah musks and things are all kind of dirty notes and yeah, even ambergris true yeah uh, but when you know perhaps subconsciously dare i say you know when you, when you think about some of the uh, intimate things one might smell it's a distant memory for me but whilst having sexual intercourse um these things are in our minds perhaps associated with being uh, attracted to people and aroused so these the subtle hint of them within these fragrances was was probably there for that reason so fascinating yeah there's so much to perfume that people who, who don't know about it would, would probably be shocked to hear about yeah they're developed they were developed to attract and and certainly um you mentioned chipra which is the french word for cyprus the island easternmost of the mediterranean i spent some time there and yeah. that was a perfume center in the ancient world i didn't know that all yeah. right yeah so there so their thing was um I believe a kind of ambery, kind of resiny sort of base. That that is that that is something that a shipra has mm, mm. underneath it in the base notes. Yes. Um, and but it was thousands and thousands of years ago that they were the perfumers of Cyprus were perfuming right. the ancient world. Yeah, it's it's been going on for a very yeah, been going on for a hugely long time, and of course sometimes back then the, the perfume had to be very strong, I think, because people didn't have much way to wash and stuff. So half of it was just covering up, the, you know, the, the dreadful smell of unwashed people. Well, um, so yeah. perfume industry started as back in the you know in the 1700s and whatnot. It was people didn't bathe, so you had to spritz on some nice, you know, <laughs> herby. Yeah floral that's why the french were you know brilliant at it because you know certainly they uh you know the aristocracy wanted to cover up a multitude of sins essentially yeah 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 but guys nowadays it doesn't work you, you do have you got to take a shower yes <laughs> once a day it doesn't really work guys but yeah no that's that's how it started i think yes. yeah incredible french french uh, 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 uh the, the the french are masters 
as are, I would say, the Italians. And of course, you know, the British are too. There's some wonderful, Floris is a, is a British house. Penhaligans is another uh, yep. house too. Yeah, I'm trying to think of others now. Yeah, uh, there's Penhaligans, uh, Floris. Um, we have this. Creed is the biggie. Sorry, Creed. Yeah. Yeah, Creed was originally, was now really thought it's a French brand, but it started as, as Creed in London. Of course, when you think of the name, it certainly sounds, it's a, it's a rather Dickensian sounding surname, <laughs> isn't it? But um, yeah, he, it's a, it more sounds more English than French, doesn't it? But uh, at some point they, they moved over to France, but they, they did apparently, I think, start out scenting leather gloves or something, which uh, I think they smelled rather bad in those days and, and to get, get rid of the stench. Yes. Then some of the, the, the fancy folk wanted uh, a nice perfume and, and Creed was supplying those. So yeah, it is originally a, an English house. Mm. And that was also the thing about the scents with the scenting of the gloves and the handkerchiefs, which was the yes. Akkarma thing. Because mm. they, they were selling in tailor shops, you know, you'd go and have a bespoke suit done and you'd have your handkerchief dipped in Aqua di Parma Colonia mm. and yeah. put into your into your uh, your jacket pocket. Yeah, that's it. And it's a good place to have it because it wafts perfectly in around that and you get a little whiff of it yourself and it's, it's the perfume stays quite well on, on fabric because it doesn't sort of heat up as much as it does on your body. So it's a very smart, I, I need to do that trick next time I employ the, the old pocket hanky actually, yeah. Well, this this has been delightful, Dan. This has been fantastic. And uh, me too. Is there anything else that you wanna that you wanna talk about that we didn't touch on? Uh, I can't think of anything offhand. I just want to say a huge thank you because uh, it's, it's one of the. I think it's the first time anyone's interviewed me in a podcast, so it's a huge honour. Uh, I, you know, very flattered to be included amongst your other previous illustrious guests, and I really do, do hope that I can uh, get to know you a little bit better and keep in touch. And uh, thank you ever so much to everyone for listening. Thank you. Thank and that was my delightful chat with the equally delightful Dan Naughton. And I wanted to tell you all that this, some of you know this, that this is episode number 30. And a year ago, almost exactly a year ago, Conversations From Here began as the seed of an idea, began as an itty-bitty tiny podcast, and now we have listeners all over the world. How did that happen? By the miracle of the internet. Thank you so much to my guests to my listeners, to friends and family who believed in this tiny podcast. I can't thank you enough. I've been having so much fun. And there will be new episodes coming up very soon. So stay tuned. Meanwhile, take good care of yourselves. Take good care of each other. And I will see you on the other side. Thanks for listening. <laughs>